I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. That is a quote from Maya Angelou, and it really sums up what we are going to cover in the next few episodes on the Kick-Ass Life Project podcast. What we are going to cover is the long-ago promised topic of polyvagal theory and how it relates to trauma-informed fitness. Woo! Cue the band! I'm so excited! Hello, my lovely listeners. I am Kate, your Kick-Ass Life Enabler, a trauma-informed fitness coach and counselor, and oh my god, seriously, I am so thrilled you are here listening. This is going to be a mini-series because there is a fuck ton to cover here. Now, it is not my intention to say anything that may be triggering, But as we'll start sort of unpacking and covering today, I can't necessarily know what will be triggering for you or not. And so you have to do what is best for you. If you need to take a break or listen with some support or just switch channels, it's all good. And as always, this podcast is not a replacement for therapy, which I highly recommend, not for you personally, but for people in general. I've never quite understood why we go to the gym for body maintenance, and no one questions it. People walk in and out of gyms all day, every day, and they do it proudly. We don't see this at counseling offices. And in my mind, counseling is just maintenance for the mind. But maybe we can, maybe I can give an analogy to this, that listening to this podcast is kind of similar to maybe doing a YouTube home workout versus going to a personal trainer. So this podcast versus going to a counselor. This is not therapy. The same as your home YouTube workout is not a personal trainer. Okay, well, that was kind of a bit of a squirrel detour. If you haven't listened to me before, I have squirrel detours, but it's okay. There's a border collie that rounds my thoughts up. And this time it is bringing me back to trauma-informed fitness and polyvagal theory. Now, I did a part one and part two intro to trauma-informed fitness. Um, We called it the fuck it episodes. Fuck it part one, fuck it part two. I encourage you to listen to those as well. So even if you've listened to them before or already, you might actually be able to add some layers and make some different connections to the stuff I said in those episodes once you've heard this one. So you don't have to listen to those in order for this one to work or make sense but I do encourage you to listen to all of them at some point. Okay, what is trauma-informed fitness? This is a quoted definition from the Center for Trauma and Embodiment through the Justice Resource Institute. Their definition, trauma-informed fitness is an embodied practice and intervention. It is informed by the latest in neuroscience, physiology, and trauma research to promote healing and resilience building after trauma. Ooh, sounds pretty formal and like cool, right? Nutshelling it, how to use fitness to feel better after trauma or abuse. Because you hear counselors say that all the time, right? Exercise is good. Exercise will elevate your mood. Exercise does wonders for depression. None of that's untrue, but <laughs> fitness, not unlike the topic of stress, is a big topic. To quote one of my favorite movies, you won't believe how mind-bogglingly big it is. Now I'm going to leave ways to contact me in the show notes, 
if you know what movie that quote is from. Okay, basics of fitness. We all probably, I'm assuming, know these. You've got your cardio, you've got re your resistance weight training, and stretching, right? And I can imagine that you can guess that each of those provides different benefits to your body. So without even getting nitty-gritty into it, within each of those three avenues, think about how many countless variations or modalities or whatever you want to call it there are. Group fitness versus individual, organized competition versus play, bodybuilding versus CrossFit, endurance versus sprinting. There's even different types of yoga. Mind bogglingly big. And just to give you Sorry, just giving you all those examples, and as I'm saying that, you might be feeling overwhelmed, bogged down by it. Or you might be thinking, oh, frickin' just get me out of here. Or maybe you're thinking, holy crap, that's kind of interesting. The cool thing is, by the end of this series, you're going to know exactly why you feel whatever way you feel. Pretty cool, right? Stick with me here. Okay. Can we agree that telling you to exercise is just kind of scarily vague? I'm guessing here, but I would imagine that if you've experienced the exercise will help guidance from a counseling perspective, there's been an emphasis on getting your heart rate up, like a cardio-based thing. Or oftentimes in the case of trauma, something like yoga was recommended. Chances are you've even heard of trauma-informed yoga. Pretty big thing, really. I am interested in your stories here, by the way. So if exercise has been recommended to you for the purposes of mental health, what was suggested? And if you tried it, how did it go? I'd love to know. Now, at the time of recording, I'm a newbie counselor. I am thrilled to be exploring the polyvagal world, getting lost in it. And yes, I promise <laughs> I'm going to get to what that actually is. But I have been a personal trainer for 10 years. I have been using trauma-informed fitness practices for, I would say, about 20 years, but without knowing I was doing it. It was really just trial and erroring with my own body. And so I cannot tell you how freaking validating it is to now be learning the science behind why it works. So please forgive me when I get way too excited over this stuff. Like, so freaking exciting, I don't even know where to start. Um, I am going to recommend a couple of other podcasts, by the way, that I think do a really amazing job of explaining polyvagal theory. Because if fitness and stress were mind-bogglingly big, polyvagal theory is like a whole other universe of big. Hearing it explained from more than one source, definitely not going to hurt. So if I forget to actually mention them, I'm going to put a link to them in the show notes. Um, okay, I'm going to rock star, hopefully, I'm going to do my best to rock star status and break this down for you. To understand how trauma-informed fitness works, you have to understand polyvagal theory first. And in my opinion, once you understand polyvagal theory, you can understand almost everything else about life, really. So from that same movie, my favorite, one of my favorite movies, where they, they actually announce the answer to life, the universe, and everything, and they announce that answer as 42. 
I now believe that the actual answer is polyvagal theory, the answer to life, the universe, and everything. Now, again, in the show notes there for a way to contact me, if I have now given away what movie that is, at least given you another clue. Polyvagal theory starts with your vagus nerve. It's a real nerve in your body, the longest one in your body, as far as I know. And it goes from your brainstem all the way down into your heart, lungs, organs, digestive system. Vagus means to travel. It tra- or it means wandering. Sorry, vagus means wandering. So it's a wandering nerve. Have you ever said, I just knew it in my gut? Or have you ever been asked, what is your gut telling you to do? Well, turns out there is an actual physical connection between those gut signals and your brain. The vagus nerve literally interprets signals from all the inside parts of you that it connects to and sends those messages up to your brain. Not necessarily your thinking brain, mind you. It sends it to the uh, the more primitive part of your brain that can actually understand the messages it's getting. Your thinking brain would probably look at it much like somebody who's not a doctor would look at some sort of chart off of a test or something, or like I would look at something if I was trying to read it in Latin. just wouldn't necessarily make sense. The vagus nerve is a message conduit, like the telephone wires, basically between your body and your brain. And it works as a feedback loop, meaning it not just one-way messages, it's a two-way system, feedback loop. But it's not an equal thing. So the body talks to the brain, the brain talks to the body, but the best way I've heard this is imagine five lanes of highway. Four of them are going south to north, so body to brain. And there's only one lane open for messages going north to south, brain to body. Okay, so not an equal communication feedback loop, right? Let's just pause for a moment there. And I'm going to let you some pennies drop. Let's you make some connect the dot thoughts about why fitness might be important for mental health, knowing that little tidbit of information. In counseling, it's what we call a bottom-up approach. It means we work on affecting the things going on below our prefrontal cortex with all those messy thoughts. Because while changing our thoughts can help, remember we've got about 20% of messaging airtime in that veil nerve that's dedicated to brain talking to body. 80% of the airtime is given to our body talking to our brain. So again, if you wanted to make a change, what seems like the most effective way to get some messages through? Bottom up approach. Okay, so now you know the basics about the vagus nerve. Pretty cool. Let's talk about something that you've probably already heard of, your autonomic nervous system. And you also probably know it as flight, fight, or freeze. So potentially, you know the terms sympathetic and parasympathetic. Don't tune out if you think I'm going to blind you with science in a minute. I'm going to try and keep this really accessible. But if you're anything like me, you may be also like sympathetic, parasympathetic. You maybe start to turn tune out because (laughs) maybe it's hard to remember which one does which. I know I always used to struggle with that, but that's okay. I am honestly, I'm going to make this easier by adding in 
some extra words, totally different sounding words. Imagine a ladder. So at the bottom of this ladder is a place without motivation. It doesn't really have a light at the end of the tunnel. We're going to call this place dorsal vagal. It's a place that feels dark and maybe cold. It's low energy. It's conservation. Think of your house if you go away on vacation. You turn off all the lights. You set the temperature to just enough. You set it to conservation mode. And I want to really, there's, there's a key word for each of these states, and I want to really emphasize those key words because it's going to be easy to look at some of these states as negative things. And what I want to hopefully do with these keywords is to remind you or bring in a different thought that there's a purpose for these states. We might not like being in them, but there is a purpose for them. And the purpose is all about you surviving. So this state is conservation. This is shut down. This is freeze. This is the oldest, most primitive nervous system state of mammals everywhere. So take a moment to think about being in this state and then being told to go and get your heart rate up. If you actually muster up the oomph to do it, I'm going to bet it doesn't feel good. Now, I have some answers to this next question, but I want to leave it with you for this episode to think about this on a personal level for you. If you're relating to this dorsal vagal ladder step, what type of movement, if any, would feel good for you? Is there anything you'd be drawn to if you were here? Okay, so keep that in the back of your mind. Answers in the next episode. Not right or wrong. You can't, there's no right or wrong. It's just I have some versions of this that may be enlightening. Anyway, so still in dorsal vagal, I want you to look around and imagine the view from the bottom of this ladder. Now, the ladder could be slightly lower than ground level, but at very least it's ground level. So as you look around, your view is going to be somewhat blocked, right, by the things around you, trees, houses, whatever. You probably don't spend a ton of time cranking your neck to look up, but you probably do look down a fair bit because you got to know what's around you, right? The stuff above is going to seem really far away, and it would take a ton of energy to get there anyway, so what's the point in looking, right? But what if something on the ground level scared you and you wanted to get away? Or what if you had a bit of energy and decided to climb up a bit? People are telling you to get moving anyway, right? (laughs) There's going to be a slightly different view up there. You're a little bit closer to the top, so it doesn't seem quite as impossible to reach. But at the same time, being higher up can be freaking scary. Again, different view, looking down, oh my gosh, a little bit scary. You can probably feel your heart beating faster, and your focus is maybe becoming a bit tunnel-visioned. Like, yeah, sure, I could potentially see more from up here, but you know what? I'm going to focus on just holding on to this ladder. Thank you very much. (laughs) So this midway up the ladder place is called our sympathetic nervous system. Ah, you remember that name. That's a recognizable name, right? This is the sympathetic nervous system. It's a place of fear, anxiety, mobilization, and here's your keyword, protection. Think of your house with the alarm system going off. This is where we flight and or fight. 
So yeah, in a polyvagal theory world, we have separated flight, fight, and freeze. Freeze shutdown is in dorsal. Flight, fight is in our sympathetic nervous system. Now, if this step of the polyvagal ladder is something that you recognize, what kind of movement do you think would feel good? You're, you're pumped up, you're in fear, anxiety, you're moving, you're protecting, fight, flight. What movement's going to feel good? Slow and mindful yoga? Are you being told to try something that will calm you down? What are you actually drawn to if you're in this state? Like if you imagine yourself here, what do you want to do? What does your body want to do? And again, no right or wrong, just your personal thoughts on it. What comes to mind for you? Now, I bet you're wondering, maybe, (laughs) what is at the top? What's at the top of this ladder? It is this idyllic little place of play, curiosity, laughter, fun, safety, and your keyword, connection. Connection to yourself, connection to your environment, connection to others. So this is where that Maya Angelou quote kind of comes in because our nervous systems talk to each other. So that's where that connection piece comes in. I'm going to touch on that again in a minute, but just be aware of that. That connection with others is huge as human mammals. Think of your home. So ventral vagal, think of your home with like a cozy fire. You've got lots of good food and drink ready, lots of space for friends to come and visit. And this is what we call ventral vagal. I may have said that name (laughs) a little bit earlier, forgetting I hadn't introduced you to it. Ventral vagal is what we call the place at the top of the ladder with this fun, safety, laughter, connection. And again, I will give you my interpretation answers and the the thoughts from the trauma-informed fitness courses I have done in the next episode. But what are your answers about movement in a ventral vagal space? So for lack of a better word, like let's say you're in this happy place. Life is good. Imagine yourself there. What does your body want to do when it's there in this idyllic place? Just have that as a thought for yourself. Okay, now imagine the view from the top of this ladder. It's like the penthouse view, right? When you look around, you can just see so much. You can take it all in, reach new places, feel like you are on top of the world. So yeah, I know it sounds like paradise. Why, (laughs) why would anyone ever leave this place? Why would I drop down the ladder to those other places, which don't sound so great? Well, you wouldn't, meaning your thinking brain. But the thing is, you, your thinking brain, doesn't get to decide. Your autonomic nervous system decides. We're going to call that the ANS from here on out. Now, there's something you need to know about your ANS. It is really, really, really stupendously good at its job. And its job is to keep you alive. If you are listening to this, your ANS has done its job because you, my friend, are alive. Here's the problem. Your ANS gives so many fucks about keeping you alive, 
it has zero left to give for your mental health. And that part can suck. This is why we're here, right? And before you start cueing the violins, like, because I'm sure those thoughts come in like, yeah, you're right. Okay, I'm, I'm alive. I should be grateful. Well, yeah, sure. If you're a deer or a bear or a cat or a dog. Now, I can't say for certain about dolphins and chimpanzees, because honestly, I kind of wonder, but almost every other mammal on Earth does not have the same problem as humans. Because see, we as humans, we went and developed this prefrontal cortex thing, this part of our brain that does all this higher executive thinking crap (laughs) that tends to get us into trouble, right? The way I see it, it's like we are trying to install fancy updated software onto ancient computer technology. And the two systems have a heck of a time trying to communicate with each other. I feel almost like this is humanity's next big evolutionary step is to be able to sync these two systems into this cohesive working model. So I have an analogy for you. I love my analogies, my metaphors and things. So have you ever seen one of those sci-fi shows where there's an ancient civilization and it builds these fabulous spaceships, these fabulous vessels, and the technology on board is like pre-programmed and automated to run the ship and protect the ship. But the programs were written based on the threats and the environment of the time when the ancient civilization was around. And then thousands of years later, new explorers come along. They, they try to understand how everything works, how to make their technology work with the ancient computers. Your body is a fabulous vessel that allows you to explore life with ancient technology pre-programmed to protect it. We run away from the things that chase us, fight when we have to, we even dissociate or freeze if necessary until the opportunity to run or fight comes back. And then technically we shake it off and KCCO. Remember that one? Keep calm and carry on. Only there's a difference. The environment around our vessel has changed, right? We're not being chased down by bears all the time. We're going, we're late for work. We're trying to figure out why so-and-so didn't text us back. But the built-in programming doesn't know that. It has specific things that it scans for, and when it detects these things, it reacts. Our prefrontal cortex is, again, like the explorers trying not only to run this fabulous vessel, but to sync their new technology up to that, that ancient one. Ultimately, though, they can't. They can't override some things. And they don't really know how to break into the codes and rewrite them. So it's like they've landed on this alien ship feeling all high-tech and cool, and then they have to try and interpret the ancient teachings and texts left behind by long-ago beings and do all that while still running a successful Instagram account. I don't know, am I taking my analogy too far? I probably am. I've written an LOL in my notes, but so LOL, haha. Anyway, my attempts at jokes. There is one thing I believe gives us hope. Hope that the two systems can play nicely together. That thing of hope is something called your vagal break. Now, a strong vagal break is the thing that allows us to drop down the ladder from fun and relaxed ventral vagal to a sympathetic state of feeling angry or frustrated when, say, our internet connection craps out 
in the middle of a Zoom presentation that we're giving. And somehow, we managed to not throw our laptop out the window. That's your vagal break. <laughs> now keep in mind, our vagal break has a limit. The more highly activated our nervous system state is, the less break we're going to have. Think heavier a rocky, big rock is going down the hill, the more speed it picks up, the harder it's going to be to stop. And guess who determines how heavy or fast the rock is? Our ANS. If our defensive states get massively triggered, the ANS hijacks our entire brain and shuts off the prefrontal cortex. So if we come back to my spaceship analogy, it's like the ship itself senses a threat, it starts locking down important rooms, like the bridge. Your ANS has the authority, has the power, to shut your prefrontal cortex thinking off. Just lock it out. And once that happens, you cannot, I want to cap, like capital letters, cannot bring it back online until your ANS perceives safety. So, a bit of recapping here, because it gave you a bunch of new information. Maybe. Your autonomic nervous system and your prefrontal cortex don't know how to communicate very well yet. When it comes down to it, your ANS is still running the show. Now, you might not believe this right now, but that is actually a good thing. We will get to that in the next episode. Your ANS has three main possible states. And I say main because, yeah, this gets bigger. Anyway, three main possible states. The bottom of the ladder, dorsal vagal, shut down, freeze. Keyword, conservation. It's all about surviving. Remember that's it's only what it gives a fuck about you surviving. Conservation mode. The middle of the ladder is sympathetic. Fight, flight. Keyword, protection. And the top of the ladder, ventral, vagal. Safety, fun, connection. Again, you, your thinking brain, does not choose the state. The ANS chooses based on the info it gets from your body, not the info it gets from your thinking brain. So this info that it gets from your body, we call these this info cues of safety or cues of danger. So what is it that this ancient ANS technology is going to decide as a cue of danger and drop you down the defensive ladder? I'm sure you can think of some logical things like the bear chasing you or even failing an important test. But remember, your senses inform your body of the environment. So, like, certain smells can be triggering, and I know we all know how closely tied smells are to memory, right? Sounds can be triggering. So if we're bringing this back into a fitness sense, things like loud or weights loudly clanking on a gym floor, that can be, trigger, that can be a cue of danger to our body, loud sounds. Um, judgment. So again, thinking about a gym, right? People looking at us. And we might, whether they are judging us or not, we're oftentimes perceiving that they are. Judgment is a massive cue of danger to our nervous system. There really aren't a lot of places that where we're, we feel more judged than in a place dedicated to changing the shape of our body. Any of your five senses can detect something and, or a mixture of them, and your ANS can perceive a threat, a cue of danger. It isn't a logical choice that you make. 
most times you aren't even consciously aware. Like, have you ever had that uneasy feeling in a certain place or felt weirded out by someone and you never really knew why? That's your ANS dropping you down the ladder. You could call it intuition. And we actually now have science starting to understand what is happening with that intuition, if we call it that. Your vagus nerve is sending signals to your brain about the reactions in your body, reactions you have no control over, reactions that are occurring based on things your senses pick up that you aren't consciously aware of. Pretty high-tech stuff, right? We have a word for it. Neuroception. Oh my gosh, giving you new words. So that kind of segues into, I have five words that I want to make sure you have an awareness of. No test, you don't have to memorize them, but just that you have an awareness of these words so that we're speaking the same language in the next few episodes. So first one, exteroception. Exo, exteroception, think outside. This is your ability to sense external cues from the environment. Interoception, thinking inter, inside. Interoception is the ability to sense internal cues from your body. So exteroception, external cues, interoception, internal cues. Neuroception. This is a term coined by Stephen Porges. I really should have mentioned this before now. So Stephen Porges is the main person responsible for bringing polyvagal theory to light. Not that he created any of this, but brought it to light. Another big name you can Google and look up around polyvagal theory is Deb Dana. Okay, so Stephen Porges coined this term neuroception. And what it means, it's internal and external cues that subconsciously determine safety for your body. So when we talk about your these reactions that you're unconsciously aware of, or not sorry, that you are unconscious of, not consciously aware of, how is that all happening? It's happening through something called neuroception. Now, the last two terms are slightly different, but also important. Proprioception, which is your awareness of where your body is in space, like my hands out in front of me, my head's down below my heart. That's proprioception. And heart rate variability. Now, I'm going to go into much more detail about heart rate variability. In a nutshell, it's the variation in time between heartbeats. This will actually make more sense as to why this is important later on. But just, re- just remembering that heart rate variability. It's actually um, an up and coming big thing. The newest generation of fitness wearables is based on heart rate very sorry, heart rate variability. Here we go. Now, how does all this relate to that quote I gave you at the beginning? I kind of alluded to it before, but when it comes down to it, our nervous systems talk to each other. So if we are in the same room or looking at each other through a Zoom screen or something, my nervous system talks to your nervous system. Your nervous system talks to my nervous system. And I know that sounds kind of new age and and weird, but this is actually the part that will make life, the universe, and everything make more sense. So yes, how someone makes you feel has a lot to do with how their nervous system makes your nervous system feel, which is how it relates to that quote. Honestly, understanding this stuff can change not just the way you relate to yourself, but the way you relate to and communicate with other people. And that 
is just a sampling of the so much more to this that there is. So I do hope you're going to keep listening as we get deeper into applying this to your fitness routine. It applies to anyone with a nervous system. But if your nervous system has become dysregulated, which is often the case with trauma or abuse, then this stuff becomes even more vital to understand. Hopefully, your biggest takeaway over the next few episodes is that you are actually very normal. And the things you've been feeling, the ways you've been reacting to life, the universe, and everything makes perfect sense. These things will be, the things we're talking about, they're going to be true regardless of your individual circumstances and experiences. I have given you this broad and foundational understanding of behind-the-scenes tech in your body, and I'm really excited to start putting some of these pieces together for you in terms of how this does apply to not just your life, but to fitness. If you have been feeling fed up with working out or anything fitness-related, whether it's due to COVID crap or just because it's a Thursday, hold on just a bit longer. You know the drill. You're still on. Keep riding.